Hi, I'd like to welcome everyone to our webinar, Making Refugee Participation in Protection Community Dialogues Meaningful. My name is Susan Fratsky, and I am a Senior Policy Analyst at the Migration Policy Institute. I'd like to start with just a few housekeeping notes. Um, first of all, if you have any technical problems, please email events at migrationpolicy.org. We will have a question and answer period at the end of the call. There will not be a voice question and answer, so please type any questions you have into the Q&A box, or you can email them to events at migrationpolicy.org. Um, I am also very happy to, uh, to note that um, our event today is coinciding with the release of a new report being published by MPI um, on building meaningful refugee participation into protection policymaking uh, by Uezo Ramazani, who is also one of our speakers today. Uh, the webinar and the report are part of the Beyond Territorial Asylum Initiative, Making Protection Work in a Bordered World, which we are convening together with the Robert Bosch Stiftung. Um, the report and more information about the initiative are available on our website at the links that you can see on your screen. I also want to especially thank the Refugee-Led Research Hub for its support during the development of the, um, the, the report that was released today. Uh, and I'd now like to pass it over to Hannes Einsborn, who is a Senior Project Manager for Migration at the Robert Bosch Stiftung for some opening reflections on his side. Hannes? Thank you very much, Susan. And I'm very excited to be here and for the discussion today. Um, and also welcome on behalf of the Robert Bosch uh, Foundation. And maybe a very quick uh, reflection and observation um, at the beginning. Um, the GRF uh, three and a half years ago in 2019, um, there was only 2%, 2.3% of refugees participating in the, in the forum. And in order to, for them to participate, there was before a lot of advocacy by um, refugee-led civil society. Um, and there was um, a lot of hurdles that had to be removed um, organizations working in the background, including from philanthropy um, to make this happen. Um, and now fast forward um, this year's GRF, um, three and a half years um, later or four years later then, um, the preparations have been very different. Um, there has been a formal mechanism with the ambition to have more meaningful refugee participation in the preparations. Um, there is, when you listen to the discussions and the preparation sessions, there, there is a very different language in terms of um, discussion and debate around meaningful refugee participation. Um, so I think there is a lot of, a lot has happened and we, I think we can really speak of an emerging norm. And this is something that is not my um, argument, but it's an argument by Res Gadi and James Milner and Mustafa Ayo. So refugee participation is really the new way of doing things in multilateral diplomacy. Um, that affects refugees. So I think this discussion and the report is um, very timely and important. Um, it allows to take stock of what's out there in terms of different models of participation. It looks at learnings, it looks at, looks at the evidence of what actually meaningful refugee participation is able to achieve um, in protection policymaking. So congratulations to MPI, um, but also especially to Uwezo for this excellent report. Um, and I think this report really provides a critical assessment of the different models of participation. And also it looks at the critical factors um, that shape how meaningful refugee participation can be. And maybe one thing I'd like to highlight also in my role um, in the foundation and philanthropy is um, we've seen a lot of representation. There is some progress when it comes to representation, but I think that also needs to be matched up with resources. So I'm also very excited about this GRF the CSGRF also to see how increasing resources hopefully will, will be made available to refugee debt organizations to really um, have representation and resources being, being um, going along at the same time. Um, and I think this also is in increasingly important to address um, a key criticism that's also being raised when it comes to refugee participation that um, you know, refugee advisors, experts are not diverse enough. And I think if we really invest um, in the civil society that's led by refugees, we can really sort of build that um, diverse group of refugee leaders that can participate in discussions. So I think that's one area where we still have some way to go. Um, and maybe a final um, a few words about sort of um, how this topic relates to the initiative. In, in my perspective, 
I mean, in the initiative with the Migration Policy Institute, we really try to look at, at trends, um, transformative changes to the protection system. And as I've um, introduced um, and as, as um, my colleagues have argued, um, meaningful refugee participation is really a transformative change that's happening in the system. But I think also what we try to do in the initiatives also discuss solutions. Um, and I think as also Uweso has brilliantly argued in, in the report, um, having refugees participate, co-designing policies is really a key success factor in making them more legitimate um, and more effective. Um, so I end by that and I'm really excited about listening to the different experts um, in this call. And I really recommend you checking out the report by Oweso and MPI. Over to you, Susan. Thank you so much, Hannes. I think some really relevant um, points there, uh, both with regard to the, the shifting, um, really a shifting norm around refugee participation, and also I think around the um, the ways in which refugee participation can actually contribute to solutions thinking. And, and as you noted, Hannes, this is like, of course a key part of the initiative that we're leading together is trying to engage really in, in thinking through um, pragmatic solutions. Uh, we are coming up on uh, another major sort of event in, in the calendar um, this year, which is World Refugee Day next week. And ahead of World Refugee Day, UNHCR had released uh, its Global Trends in Displacement report earlier this week, which noted that 35.3 uh, million individuals are now living outside their home countries as refugees as of 2022. And I think for anyone who um, has been following or been affected you know, by um, displacement situations over the last several years, it can feel like we're stuck in something of a loop of ever greater and greater numbers of displacements. Um, that are, that are facing the international community. And it's true, of course, that new crises keep popping up on the horizon. You know, this past year, it was Ukraine. Um, there's also continuing displacement from Afghanistan and from, from Venezuela that keep you know, driving ever higher numbers of displacement. But I think we, we can also acknowledge that the international uh, protection system is also facing a lack of legal and practical solutions that are available to help address uh, displacement. And this is another reason why we keep seeing more and, and, and ever greater numbers every year of, of displacement. Um, this puts a tremendous amount of strain on humanitarian systems that are meant to support and protect people who are refugees. And we have more and more people um, who are needing to turn to a pool of resources that is itself not growing. And this, I think, as Hannes mentioned, um, really means that uh, the international community needs to ensure that the policy and programmatic tools that we're using are as effective as possible, that they're targeted in the right way, and they're really making the, the most of the, the resources that are available. So when countries are providing humanitarian or development support um, to refugee hosting countries, that that support is going to the right place and it's being used in the most effective and efficient way possible. Or that when a new resettlement or legal pathway opens for refugees, that those pathways are available to and accessible to people who would most um, benefit from them. Uh, and one of the tools, as Hannes mentioned, that's you know, been put forward in, in recent years to, to try to make policies and programs more effective, and as Ueso also um, outlines in his paper, is of course involving refugees themselves in policymaking and in programmatic design um, processes. And I think there's uh, a really um, elegant uh, case for that and persuasive case that, that Ueso has outlined in his analysis and that we'll dig into in more depth in our conversation um, today. Uh, so our conversation brings together really a fantastic group of individuals who have been working on refugee participation for many years now, and I'm really excited to be um, sitting with, um, with this group for the next hour to hear their thoughts on how refugee participation can affect policy outcomes, how we can ensure that participation is being done in a way that can actually link up to concrete um, outcomes. Uh, within the policy space, and then also thinking through how we can actually measure and evaluate those outcomes to, to ensure that we're working towards a more effective participation going forward. So I'd like to hand it over first to Uwezo Ravazani, um, who, as I mentioned, is the author of, of the paper that came out today. He is also a lead researcher at the Refugee-Led Research Hub at the University of Oxford. Oxford. And Uwezo is um, based in Tanzania and himself has a li lived experience of displacement. And in addition to his work with the Refugee-Led Research Hub, he has also worked as a lead researcher for the Local Engagement Refugee Research Network uh, at Carleton. And he previously worked 
with Resilience Action International, which is a refugee-led organization operating mainly in Kakuma refugee camp in Kenya. Um, and he was most recently the interim executive director of that organization. So I'll hand it over to Uwezo um, to talk to us about uh, his research and the findings of the report, Uwezo. Thank you, Susan, for the opportunity. I hope I'm audible enough. Yes, generally, the report has found that all stakeholders have now seen the need to have more effective policies to address protection and displacement challenges. And one way to get there is to meaningfully engage refugees themselves in policy making processes to ensure their knowledge, expertise, and unique perspectives are reflected in program design and that they have a sense of or a shared sense of ownership over implementation. While refugees are increasingly becoming involved in these processes, there is no clear evidence on how concretely refugee participation can foster better policies. It also have seen that there have been limited effort to create theory of change that outline how refugee participation are supposed to achieve the intended goals. This gives stakeholders an opportunity to sharpen the understanding of the goals of refugee participation, how to best reach them, and how to remove barriers that impede the progress of refugee participation. So I have seen and identified the motivation to engage refugees is often the more argument that those who have been forcibly displaced should be involved in making decisions that affect them. And based on the analysis of this report, uh, all initiatives, uh, current initiatives to engage refugees in policy making processes follow under one of the following models. The first model is a consultative model, the second is the advisory model, and the third one is the professional model. And this categorization is based on four key variables that create the parameters within which influence can be generated. And those parameters are the level of engagement, the number of participants that are involved, the time frame that consultations take place, and whether those who participate are considered as outsiders or insiders. For instance, for the consultative model, engagement is likely, but many are involved in the consultations. And you'll find that the time frame for consultation is so limited. They may be involved in one session only, but the later sessions they want to be involved. And we have seen this, for example, the consultation ahead of the global compact on refugees and the development of the Refugee Act in Kenya. In the advisory model, you can see that. Yeah. We lost you for just a moment. Um, I think just as you were talking about the advisory model. Yes, I said in the advisory model, the degree of engagement is deep compared to consultative where there is light touch. Though the number of participants in the advisory model is limited is few compared to the consultative. And in the advisory model, you can see that uh, advisors may be engaged in several sessions compared to the consultative where people may be only invited in one session. And in the advisory model, advisors are considered as outsiders because they are not a part of the those organizing the consultation or the engagement. For instance, in the UNHCR commission, these advisors to the Canada government and the advisors that we have seen created in the US and in the German, those advisors are considered as outsiders. And in the professional model, it's where few refugees are recruited to be part of the organizations and their engagement is so deep also, but few get there and they participate continuously because they are already part of the organization. 
and this time they are now considered as insiders within that organization so they participate as members of the organization and one example is the appointment of the CEO of Asylum Access who has experience of forced displacement. So those are the three models that I've identified and the factors that determines their level of engagement. So it is important now to know. So evaluating refugee participation success requires developing and communicating a clear theory of change, allows stakeholders to think through and clear, clearly articulate their intended goals. Now, if you don't develop a clear theory of change against which we can measure the influence of participation, it will be difficult. So more broadly, refugees' engagement still needs a greater push to move away from symbolism or tokenism and to instead meaningfully involve the refugee communities in policy decisions that affect them. So we can engage refugees through multiple entry points and the pilot a variety of participation models that I've mentioned. We can also document the participation of refugees in the policy process, but also finally we have to move beyond the refugee participation in the processes that are led by others and to co-design and co-ownership of policy making and the programming. As many refugees find themselves in protracted situations of displacement, deeper, continuous engagement and co-design are critical to addressing recurring and long-term challenges. Thank you for listening and I will be happy to receive questions if there are any addressed to me. Thank you so much, Uezo. Uh, we'll turn now to uh, Rez Gardi, and if you have questions for Uezo, uh, please go ahead and put them in the chat or send them on email to the events uh, MPI events address, and we'll take them all um, together at the end. Uh, Rez is an international lawyer and human rights activist of Kurdish descent, and she currently serves as the co-managing director of Refugees Seeking Equal Access to the Table, or RSEAT. She represented New Zealand at the first ever Global Refugee Youth Consultations in 2016 and helped establish the Global Youth Advisory Council to the UNHCR and is a co-founding member of the Refugee Steering Group to the UNHCR Annual Tripartite Consultations on Resettlement and leads one of uh, its representatives, leads as one of its representatives. Um, so I'm very happy to turn it over now to Rez uh, to tell us a bit about how she has um, witnessed refugee participation initiatives developing over the, the past few years, especially since the GCR process. And I also just want to acknowledge and thank Rez for joining um, from New Zealand, where it's actually quite late, uh, late in the evening her time. So Rez, I'll pass it over to you. Thank you, Susan. Ena mana ena reo, ena fenua o te ao, norera tenakoto katoa. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning for from wherever in the world you're dialing in from. Um, I greet you firstly in Te Reo Māori, the language of the Tangata Whenua Indigenous people of Aotearoa, New Zealand, where I was fortunate to find a home free from persecution. Um, I am the co-managing director of RSEAT, Refugees Seeking Equal Access at the Table. We are a global refugee-led organization working to enhance the effectiveness of global refugee responses by co-designing mechanisms to amplify refugee leadership ecosystems and increase the participation of refugees in a meaningful, sustainable and transformative way. I think as noted by uh, various speakers before me, um, over the last few years, we've seen a prominent theme within the global refugee regime and related meetings um, as a commitment to enhancing the role of refugees in the making and implementation of policies and programming that affect us. As articulated in paragraph 34 of the Global Compact on Refugees, responses are most effective when they actively and meaningfully engage those that they are intended to protect and assist. It's clear um, currently that many stakeholders are committed to the principle of meaningful refugee participation, but the challenge has been trying to understand what this means practically. While there's been a lot of agreement on the value of refugee participation, there are still practical ideas that are needed on how participation can be more substantive, uh, more sustained and uh, 
and pragmatic. So it's about moving from the if to the how. And naturally, we've seen various um, refugee participatory initiatives develop in an attempt to put into practice uh, this commitment. And this, ta this has taken various forms within national, regional, and global contexts. At the global level, we've seen the development of key advisory bodies within the UNHCR framework, for example, the Refugee Advisory Group to the Annual Tripartite Consultations on Resettlement, um, also the UNHCR Advisory Board. Um, I know we have our colleague here from UNHCR, Tamar, that will um, speak more on that. So I'll focus more on the mechanisms that our seat has helped to create within national contexts. At our seat, um, we believe there is an emerging norm of meaningful refugee participation in the international refugee system. And um, as Hannes has pointed out, we've published an article to explain why we think so. But for the sake of brevity, just take my word for now that there isn't an emerging norm and that this emerging norm has the potential to substantially ameliorate global refugee responses. This norm's realization has been the inspiration for the refugee advisory uh, model that our seat has taken, wherein refugee leaders can collaborate with governments to develop and promote more effective and accountable refugee policy responses, both at the state level um, and into the global. So building from the Canadian model, we've worked with numerous partners on the ground to help establish uh, mechanisms, for example, the United States Refugee Advisory Board and the New Zealand Refugee Advisory Panel, and we're actively working in other states to create such mechanisms. Um, and, and thinking about these mechanisms, um, I'll just cover how they're built, um, firstly. So... We work with refugee leaders and refugee-led organizations, academic partners, and other civil society stakeholders um, leading up to the Selection Advisory Committee for an open and transparent selection process. We adapt to each national context and recognize where existing mechanisms exist and how we can ensure that these are uh, meaningful and can work in a, a positive collaborative relationship with the government. So it's about complementing, not duplicating or replacing existing efforts. The process of building the mechanisms is led by local refugee leaders and RLOs. Our seat's role is more as a tool with technical expertise convening regular spaces for exchanges um, and in some cases helping to support the connection with funding partners um, and then there to support um, the mechanisms. And how do they work? Depending on each country context, where the countries um, would like to engage the mechanism at the national and international or just at the international level um, really depends on the context, the structures they've already got, the relationship of RLOs and civil societies with government um, partners and agencies. Um, so it's very context specific. It's not a one size fits all approach, but rather working with actors on the ground to understand what would work in their unique context and how we can support the establishment of such a mechanism. A critical part of these mechanisms is also that um, from within these mechanisms, refugee advisors um, are uh, connected with the governments to, to serve on the international um, delegations for their countries, um, diplomatic delegations to, for example, whether it's the ATCR, whether it's the XCOM and hopefully the upcoming um, GRF, and they're selected from um, this transparent process. So um, members of these mechanisms not only have lived experience of forced displacement, but they also have expertise in relevant fields. Um, RCET supports the uh, efficient um, uh, running of these mechanisms um, by providing training and supporting where capacity um, is needed to these members and also um, various trainings and tools on how to navigate global refugee policy processes. Um, it's still very early days, so we can't conclusively conclude that they um, you know, are a model that definitely works, but some key um, indicators about uh, why they have the potential to be successful models is that they're institutionalized embedded mechanisms and they're not ad hoc. Um, we're trying to move away from tokenistic approaches um, by ensuring that there's um, an independent selection committee um, process that helps with an open call for a uh, 
open call for applications from refugees within that country's context that is transparent. Um, members of these advisory bodies are chosen based on, based on their expertise, um, not just lived experience alone, but that powerful combination. Um, and they're well prepared to advise the governments on particular refugee policy issues within their area of expertise. These mechanisms um, are designed to be sustainable, so um, ensuring that there's a sufficient resourcing um, to ensure that it's not a one-off approach, but actually um, uh, focus on longevity because obviously policy processes can take many years um, and commitment over a long period of time. Um, these mechanisms reside at the national level to um, affect change, but on the international level as, as well. Um, and other key components are these rotational models to ensure that there's diversity within the cohorts um, and that they're limited terms so they're not the same people forever. Um, and a key component of this is a sec secretariat body that supports the mechanisms, usually a university or academic partner, which ensures a evidence-based approach to affecting um, change at the policy level. So just to fill the gap, um, uh, on the final point is it's bridging this um, from what Uizos outlined in his report, um, trying to bridge these uh, different models. So the advisory and the professional approach to ensure that it's more um, meaningful over the long term. Um, I'll stop there um, and for the sake of time, but I'd be happy to answer more questions um, and look forward to discussion on this point. Um, back to you. Thank you, Susan. Thank you so much, Raz. And a reminder, as you have questions for Raz or for Uezo, uh, please feel free to put them in the chat. I'd like to turn now to Shaza Al-Rihawi, who is the co-founder and former chair of the Global Refugee-Led Network, as well as the co-founder of the Global Independent Refugee Women Leaders and the Network for Refugee Voices. She is also a board member of New Women Connectors and a former member of the European Migrant Advisory Board and previously worked uh, for UNHCR in Syria. So I'll hand it over now to Shaza to talk about um, what participation opportunities you've seen emerging at UNHCR and the global level and uh, sort of what challenges and opportunities you've observed as part of those processes. Shaza? Thanks. Thanks for this invitation, and I'm happy to um, to add to what already have been said actually about the importance of the uh, the meaningful participation and more about how because the importance is already there. <laughs> so um, actually, it is essential to acknowledge that the efforts have been made to increase the refugee participation, but there is still much progress to be made. Here are some uh, key aspects of the process of participation opportunities for refugees at UNHCR and the global level. First, the refugee uh, representation, and here to have like a representative from refugees in the discussions, consultation, and decision-making process in many different levels. Second, refugee advisory board and committees, and here UNHCR is playing a big role to have all of this uh, process and to have many different refugee advisory groups in many different uh, themes, if we can say. Refugee consultation, also UNHCR conduct a lot of consultation with refugees to have their opinion and feedback on issues affecting their lives. In, and in addition to that, the Global Refugee Forum, ATCR and other forums that happening, uh, refugee uh, already is uh, invited, but again, here we have like a limitation of access for refugees because they always have to be invited. They cannot come by their own. And advocacy and awareness here, uh, we all working with UNHCR hand by hand to inclusive policies and practices that recognize the respect of the voice of refugees. And um, now we will talk about the challenges and the opportunities for refugee and meaningful refugee participation. First one is the, the legal and the policy framework, ensuring that the legal and policy framework provide opportunities for refugees to participate meaningfully in this significant uh, uh, role. First, we can see that the inclusive policies to grant the refugees the right for work, access for education, the healthcare, and the social services. 
Recognizing refugees as valuable contributors to the society, creating opportunities for their participation instead of viewing the refugees and RLOs as a beneficiaries, it is crucial to treat them as an equal partner and an essential actor in the process, developing theory of change, establishing measurable indicator where will facilitate adoption of more inclusive approaches. Collectively designing, implementing, and evaluating process and policies between refugees and policymakers is essential factor to overcoming the challenges in the front of achieving the meaningful participation or meaningful engagement for refugees. Second, social and cultural integration. Refugees often face challenges in social and cultural integration due to language barriers, discrimination, and limitation of social network. Opportunities is raised here by promoting cultural exchange, inter intercultural dialogue, and community engagement. Economic empowerment limits access to economic opportunities is a significant challenge for the refugees. And here we would like to have restricted work permits, limited formal employment access, and skill mismatch. To address this, we can create opportunity through vocational training, entrepreneurship uh, initiatives and collaboration with business recognition, refugees skills and experience is enabled for the meaningful contribution to the local economy. Education and skills development, quality education and skills development is crucial for refugees to actively participate in the host societies. Participation in the decision-making process challenges such as a limited participation or presentation, lack of information, the power imbalance is must to be overcome. Creating opportunities essential to foster inclusive governance structure, establishing refugee-led organization, supporting them, funding them, promoting dialogue platforms, and involving refugees in policy development and implementation is a key. Mental health and well-being, refugees facing traumatized uh, experience, displacement and loss during their journey is all that impacting their mental health and well-being. The challenge is to limit access to mental health services, cultural stigmatization and language barriers. And here we would like to have accessible and culturally sensitive mental health support raising awareness and involving refugees in designing and implementing mental health programs. As a GRN, we are learning from our global, uh, uh, from local to the global level engagement and vice versa, that refugee participation pledge is a key. Actually, as a GRN, we had the pledge in the last forum, and now we had uh, nine uh, over like 50 uh, state and NGOs uh, signing this uh, pledge and we would like to have more uh, towards the GRF. Regional uh, refugee summits have brought together hundreds and hundreds of refugees leaders worldwide providing platform for policy discussion and input into the global compact on refugee process. So what we are trying to bring all refugees to come together from the local to the global, to let them have their recommendation, share their notes and share their policies recommendation with the global level. Independent refugee delegation have been also facilitated to, in, to engage directly with the policymakers and even delivery refugees statement in the key policy events. We create as a GRN skill up training, it's a capacity building workshop series by refugees for refugees to empower refugees to be able to transforming the knowledge and the skills that necessary for policy engagement. As a GRN, we are responding to urgent refugee community needs through regional chapter, ensuring that the refugee voices are centered in. Actually, this is the way where we try to have refugee meaningfully engaged in the, in the policy debate, if we can say, and we would like to have the more power for refugees to have equal partnership again and again and not seen as beneficiaries. Thanks. Thank you, Shaza. Uh, I want to turn now to our last panelist, uh, Tamar Suzanne Yoannin, 
who is the acting head of community-based protection unit in the Division of International Protection at UNHCR and is also the co-chair of UNHCR's task team on engagement and partnership with organizations led by displaced and stateless persons. So I'll turn now to Tamar to share a bit about how UNHCR is trying to facilitate a meaningful refugee engagement ahead of the GRF. Thanks a lot, Susan, and everybody, all the other panelists as well. I'm so happy and proud to be with you with the, such a rich also uh, panel uh, for this uh, for this day. Um, and also thank you for inviting me for this discussion. I'm happy to share our recent experience in UNHCR on engaging this space and status persons. Of course, uh, it was already touched upon that we have already at the field level, we have a very strong community-based protection uh, approach in the way that we work with the community. So already aspects of ensuring that we listen to them, uh, we engage them in the identification of solutions, we invite them to the planning table, we provide feedback on what has happened with the information they shared with us. All that is already quite embedded in the work that we do in UNHCR, and we have a lot of examples to share on how this uh, went beyond just a consultation with them, but also really building on their capacities uh, to implement solutions. We wanted to mirror uh, these most important efforts at the ground level to our engagement at the global level. And this engagement is primarily, of course, driven by the New York Declaration with the 2018 Global Compact on Refugees, which also uh, res referred to uh, recognized refugees as key to ensuring the responses are meaningful and effective. There were a lot of lessons learned from the first GRF, uh, and those lessons have guided us and the efforts that we have been doing uh, at, uh, leading to, into the high-level officials meeting in 2021, and now the upcoming GRF 2023. So we took stock of what worked and what did not work, and we heard from refugees themselves so what were the opportunities they saw at the GRF uh, 2019 and the high-level official meeting, but also what were some of the challenges they experienced. So issues that were highlighted were around like the tokenistic participation and just the check the box kind of uh, participation of refugees. Specific challenges related to inclusion and really like in-presence kind of participation of refugees, uh, things related to logistics, travel, visa arrangements, aspects of representation, inclusion and accessibility for refugees of all uh, a gender and diversity background, but also more importantly, the need to engage early on in the process of the GRF and not at the end uh, event that happened in 2019. Uh, so hearing all this, uh, we at the headquarters level, we have uh, established an interdivisional task team, um, which uh, developed a framework with a set uh, of deliverables to take this forward. So as a primary objective, the task team uh, aimed to align internal efforts and increase the capacity of UNHCR to partner and engage with those organizations at various levels. Of course, the task team did not work alone. Uh, we work with an interim advisory group, uh, which also helped us develop a modality for selecting a more representative advisory board uh, that has been now put in place following a fair and transparent process. Uh, so the process itself was quite lengthy. It took us nine months to have the advisory board uh, together, uh, but we are happy that we, we did it as, as to the extent possible in a consultative way and transparent way. It was, of course, a refugee-led process. So the interim advisory group developed the terms of reference, de uh, developed the modality of selection, uh, supported the review of the candidates and the shortlisting and longlisting of the candidates, and following, of course, a scoring system and the clear criteria that was also developed jointly with them. Uh, the criteria in selection, the advisory board also considered, first of all, geographical balance. So we wanted to make sure that we have members representing different regions uh, where UNHCR operates, but more importantly, AGD representation. So we have members who represent LGBTI organization, persons with disability, uh, stateless uh, organization because we want to take this engagement beyond refugees. As an organization, we have a mandate also towards IDPs and stateless persons, as you know. Uh, but also, like, we wanted to make sure that we have a balance between regional and grassroots representation because they each bring their own very different and rich perspective into the discussions uh, uh, and the deliverables of the task team. Um, the terms of reference of the advisory board includes uh, advising UNHCR on meaningful participation to start with. Where are we doing wrong? Where can we do better? 
influencing policy development was one key aspect they wanted to put on the table. They want to be part of the discussions around developing, like for instance, the child protection policy, uh, the strategy on livelihood and economic inclusion, which are things that are already now ongoing with the advisory board. Uh, but also, most importantly, the next big thing, and that's uh, influencing uh, and engaging at the GRF itself. Um, maybe just to say a bit of the efforts that we have been doing around the GRF. So listening also to what uh, we heard uh, from the previous GRF, uh, the engagement early on. Uh, so the GRF event itself is kind of the end result where people will come there, present their pledges, discuss issues around priorities and so on. But we want to make sure that this engagement is happening already before, during the process of those pledges being developed. So we are engaging with the advisory board uh, in the preparatory meetings uh, around the GRF. Uh, they have had uh, opportunities to provide their own statements, put forward their messages uh, on the um, prioritizing meaningful participation, but also ensuring that it is inclusive of the different age, gender, and diversity group. So even some practical kind of uh, messaging around how to make sure that refugees can be there in time, starting the process early on in terms of uh, visa arrangements and so on. Uh, we also facilitate inclusion of uh, organizations led by uh, displaced people, uh, and this of course goes beyond the advisory board in uh, relevant coordination groups that are currently uh, active uh, around the GRF. For example, the Agender Group of Friends that is working on AGD priorities, uh, but also the uh, NGO reference group, uh, where we also have uh, representatives from the advisory board also there to make sure that inputs from uh, those organizations are also heard. Uh, we have also made efforts uh, at the regional level and at country level to ensure local actors, including refugee organizations, are part of those conversations. And of course, as the rest said, this is quite different from one context to another, depending on capacity, on the legal framework, on the openness uh, where, where that's possible. And we continue to advocate for this to happen more systematically. We heard from the first GRF also uh, the need to ensure that we identify the right people for the right role. Uh, it comes again to the tokenistic kind of participation. So in January, a call for expert refugees, <coughs> sorry, was sent out. Um, and we, were we are trying to really identify refugees who have specific expertise in thematic areas, for instance, livelihoods, health, climate, all the areas that could be discussed in the conversations around the GRF. So the advisory board is currently supporting the review uh, and the shortlisting of this, uh, those list of experts uh, to bring it down to 70 experts uh, that will be connected with the regional bureaus to be involved in those regional discussions, but also at the GRF itself, where we hope to be able to, to bring them all even uh, to be present at the GRF discussions. Um, there are, of course, other refugee uh, coordination mechanisms, of course, in place. So Rez already referred to the ATCR Refugee Advisory Group. There are also advisory groups linked to the DAFI uh, students, uh, for instance, uh, the Global Youth uh, uh, Council. But just as an example for the work that we are doing with the refugee students, for instance, the DAFI students. So engagement has already started now with them because they will be present at the GRF. But it's not about just bringing them at the event itself. It's about really supporting their role at the GRF. So some of them have, for instance, requested support uh, in coaching on public speaking, for instance. So these are kind of the things that are also currently ongoing to make sure that as we come closer to the GRF, they, uh, they are able to also present their priorities in the most effective way. Uh, supporting pledges uh, on meaningful participation. So uh, Shaza referred to the GRN pledge. That's one that we have been also uh, supporting actively, but also making sure that meaningful participation is, uh, is across the board, also in integrated in all pledge development. And then of course, there is the uh, ongoing development of a localization pledge, which will also include elements of engagement with refugee organizations. These are just a few examples of the kind of work that is happening around the GRF. And happy to come back uh, maybe during the Q&A to also provide additional information. Over to you. Thank you so much, Jafar. Um, 
very interesting to hear the the deep work that UNHCR is doing ahead of the GRF to, to ensure um, both uh, appropriate representation and, and also um, really uh, in-depth and, and prepared representation and relevant representation on the part of the refugee delegations. Uh, I'd like to open the floor now for questions. Uh, please, um, as a reminder, place your questions in the Q&A box. Uh, we have quite a few interesting ones that have already come in, so I will get started on um, putting those to our panelists and as you have more questions or comments please be please feel free to add them uh, first question I want to direct actually um, specifically to Shaza and Rez. Uh, our conversation has you know touched quite a bit on the um, the merits of refugee participation, what it can add. But I can imagine that in working with governments and you know, with national governments and with international actors, there's also been some resistance. Uh, of course, if, if there hadn't been some resistance, we would have more refugee participation already today. And I'm wondering if you could speak a bit to um, which specific um, concerns you've seen come up in your conversations with national governments and international actors and, and how you've addressed those. Why, um, where have, have there been concerns about bringing refugees in in more depth and um, how have you seen those, those hesitations play out? Uh, so I, I might ask uh, Shaza if you would like to come in first and then turn to Rez. Thank you. Yeah, actually, it's not easy for for refugees to be included in such uh, debates, and it's not in all states and in all countries. Like we can see in Canada, in U.S., in Germany, somehow they are more open to have refugees in in their like debates. They are more open to talk to the refugees, having refugee councils, and with the RCT, uh, they are working on advi creating advisory groups. Uh, it is it is really uh, an opportunity and a big opportunity for us to be included with the states. But if we go to other kind of states where they are more hosting countries with uh, uh, limited uh, uh, resources, if we can say, and with a somehow uh, not the democratic uh, regimes, uh, it is not easy to have refugee voices uh, to be heard, like such as. Uh, refugee in Lebanon, refugee in, in, in Jordan, refugee in, in some uh, African countries and some other countries, they still work silently on, on the ground, but no one listened to them. Also, one of the problems sometimes is the language barriers. So it's not always helping that uh, refugees doesn't speak the language of the countries where they are. So also, this is some of the barriers that preventing refugees to come over uh, this. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to help uh, refugees to understand also not only the language itself, but also the policy language because it's not easy. And this is one of the things that where refugees are not able to be in to come to the, the debates itself. And uh, what we are trying to do is to have our summits for, as a GRN, we try to come up with the refugees on local level, trying to talk to each other and then bring this knowledge to the states and to the government when we have the opportunities, because uh, in the, the global level, it's more open actually, to be honest, to have this kind of discussion than the regional and the local level. So, uh, uh, we still have a long, long way to, to, to reach where we would like to reach, but actually this is how we have uh, worked so far from our side. Thank you, Shaza. Rez, would you like to come in as well? Yeah, um, absolutely. I think it's a great question. And I think the reality is that um, every context and state is different. Um, so for example, there may be some states where um, the conversation is really around the ethical imperative um, and the accountability to affected populations. Um, and that in itself is enough to, to be a driving factor in terms of um, trying to include refugee voices. Um, and that's really critical. Um, but I think sometimes we need to go further than that. And we need to discuss the substantive value to having refugees participate. And we need to all um, put at the forefront of our minds, what is it that we're trying to achieve by having refugees participate? Um, so uh, thinking about 
Um, what do we collectively want to achieve? And if it's about thinking about the global refugee response system, I think many of us can agree here that there are a lot of things that are not working within um, the global regime. And so by having refugee perspectives, by including refugees um, within these processes, then decision makers and policy makers um, and governments can access more information directly from um, people that are most affected um, to better better identify the existing problems, to address the gaps in services that are currently being experienced by people on the ground, and they can receive input that can lead to more innovative, robust solutions. And so we need to think about what are we trying to achieve here? Meaningful refugee participation is not an end goal in, an, in itself. It is a means to achieving the ultimate goal, which we all collectively can agree is a better global refugee response system for all of us. Um, and, and by including refugee voices, we can make the policy process more effective and legitimate. And it's also thinking about the um, investment. So for many countries, um, they're investing a lot of resources and time into um, global responses, whether it's at the, in the, within their local context, regional, national, um, global. And so by having a better channel of communication and working um, in stronger partnership with all stakeholders, including refugees, then we can make that goal more realistic, more achievable. Um, and so it's thinking about the pragmatic um, solutions to this. One of the first questions we get when we're engaging with states um, is, you know, they're not going to say this maybe publicly, but what is in it for the government? What is in it for the state to, uh, to do this? And so it's thinking about all of this together, the ethical imperative, the accountability to affected populations, but also um, the contributions, the substantive value uh, to the policy making processes and the outcomes that we can achieve together, um, and then being able to combine these. And Shaza rightly pointed out, for many countries, resources um, is an issue. They're already um, really um, finding it difficult to, to focus on uh, really key essential services. And so asking them to do something in addition to that is a major challenge. And this is where I think um, as an international community, we need to be thinking more honestly about um, how do we resource uh, these initiatives to ensure that refugees can participate um, and where are we directing these resources? Um, how, can, how can private sector partners come into this? How can academic partners come into this? How can we all work hand in hand? Because it's not just about refugees getting a seat at the table, but rather working collectively um, together. Thank you so much, Raz. I think uh, those comments go to the, the heart of many of the things that we're discussing here today about how refugee participation can really influence and lead to more effective policymaking. Um, we just have a few minutes left, and there are two questions I want to pick up on actually coming out of the chat and um, what Shaza and Rez just shared. The first is, uh, in, in the chat, we've had a request to share examples, some concrete examples of where our panelists have seen refugee participation really lead to stronger policy or programmatic outcomes. Um, so specific examples of, of where policies have fed into a process to make it more, um, the outcomes, in fact, more effective. And I want to address that first to, um, to Mar and then to Uezo. Um, but there's a second question I want to put on the table as well, uh, which goes to, to what Rez just mentioned, which is, uh, how do we actually resource refugee participation? And I might ask Hannes if you would be prepared to come in on that after tomorrow and, and do ways of speak. Um, we've heard a lot from our panelists today about uh, the importance of ensuring that uh, refugee participation models are well supported and well prepared, whether that is uh, involves you know, providing um, language access services or uh, providing refugee uh, participants with support on things like developing public speaking skills or enabling them to effectively engage in processes, as well as simply resourcing things like travel and actually the time to participate in, in processes. Um, so be curious about um, our panelists, the thoughts from our panelists, um, and also from, from Hannes, um, what kinds of resources are needed and who should actually be involved in providing those resources to enable refugee participation. So I'll turn first to Tamar uh, to um, take up the question about where we've seen specific examples of refugee participation leading to change. Thanks a lot, Susan, and uh, also colleagues who asked the question. I think, uh, I mean, the examples are, of course, like different from one context to another. I mean, if I think more of the global 
context, for instance, uh, compared to the field perspective. Uh, this is an area that we are just now starting to really advance on. Uh, as I mentioned, the advisory board was just established a few months ago. Uh, they have already started contributing to some key policy uh, policy uh, documents at the UNHCR's level, including the child protection policy, the livelihood strategy. Uh, recently, we had an experience on developing uh, a refugee-led organization definition. Uh, there were, of course, a lot of lessons learned from that experience as well, and uh, we continue to continuously um, improve the way we are doing also consultations. So uh, I think there is, as also I don't know who mentioned, like the no one size fits all. It's very important for us to see where uh, refugees themselves are, what their priorities are, and not to always like uh, impose our own priorities on them and what kind of uh, documents we want them to really review or policies we want them to influence. They might have their own priorities that we need to also listen to and make sure these are embedded. When I think of some of the other uh, activities where we have uh, advanced on, and I think the GRF itself has been quite a, when I think about the difference from 2019 to today, I think there has been a lot done already in including refugees in the process of the GRF and now increasingly also in the development of pledges. Of course, those results we will only see uh, later on, but it comes again to one of the challenges that were mentioned, like how do we really measure that this participation led to this result and that this participation was the result of the outcomes that we are seeing now? Because often it, is, it has a lot of contributing also factors attached to it. Of course, there is still a systematic power dynamics that will need to be continuously addressed, uh, making sure that uh, UNHCR and other actors fix those power dynamics. And the more we engage meaningfully with the with displacing status people, the more we will be able to work uh, as equal partners. Over to you. Thank you, Tamara. I want to hand over to Uezo. You've, of course, also, in addition to this report, done a lot of work with refugee-led organizations. I'd be curious, uh, through your work, where you've seen refugee uh, participation lead to uh, specific better outcomes. Thank you. And this, I think I can point out uh, the refugee consultations during the development of the Kenyans Refugee Act of 2021. Although the results appear to be mixed, but I think the fact that uh, some of the refugee concerns, such as how refugees and communities could better share resources, were included in the updated refugee bills is a sign of uh, some success of involvement of refugees. Because before the 2021, the former bill that was proposed was cancelled after the president denied to sign it. But with this second process, at least refugees were consulted, members of parliament went to measure refugee camps in Dadaab and Kakuma, and they gathered input from the refugees themselves. Thank you. Thank you, Uezo. So the final question we had on the table is with regard to uh, financing and, and support and how um, refugee uh, participation um, can be supported through um, through funding and, and what kinds of resources are needed to do that. So I wanted to see, Hannes, if there's anything you wanted to add specifically on, on that point and then open it uh, for any final words from the rest of our uh, panelists. Hannes? I'm happy to provide a few comments, but I think also we have a wealth of experience from Shasa, Rez and Ueso who all um, are leading uh, refugee-led organizations. I think they also probably will have a lot to add to this discussion. But just from, from our perspective at, in philanthropy, I think um, there's two dimensions to it, right? There is um, a dimension of quantity of funding that goes to refugee-led organizations. And we see that sort of resources for organizations, but also for participation increasing. I think there is, but I think still not enough. Um, I think we've seen a lot of resources that have come from philanthropy that has been sort of spearheading this and trying to, to put a lot of funding on, on the table. But I think um, now there's also UNHCR having specific programs for refugee-led organizations. There's also some governmental donors that are working in this space. So I think we are seeing sort of the diversity of donors and funding available increasing. But I think the second aspect besides the quantity of funding is also the quality of funding. And I think a lot of the, the, the things that are needed in order for uh, meaningful refugee participation to take place is basically funding core costs of organizations, 
providing stability, providing multi-year funding, providing flexi flexible funding. So I think these are all things that I think we're not there yet. I think we are sometimes overly restrictive when it comes to specific organizations, um, smaller organizations, local organizations. So I think there's a lot of um, things that need to improve on, on that front. But we see a lot of different models that are happening in the, in, in internationally. And I think we could do a similar studies around um, refugee financing models um, that are very interesting. And I think there's some well-working models like the Resourcing Refugee Leadership Initiative and others. Um, and also, um, we are actually working with the Overseas Development Institute on a, on a study that actually looks at this question of quantity and quality of funding and there will be more sort of um, information and, and comments and data on this question. So I think um, also watch that space for, for some upcoming um, more input on, on that question. Back to you, Susan. Thank you so much, Hannes. Uh, we are actually at time now. Um, I just want to give an opportunity for our panelists to say just a couple of, of final words. Um, perhaps I'll turn to Shaza first and then to Ueso, um, Tamar, and then Rez, if you have any final comments to make uh, on the financing point or other points that have come up through the chat. Just one or two minutes each, please. Yeah, thank you for, for this invitation and hope this discussion will continue for the funding. Uh, core funding for our laws is really essential because this is one of the problematic issues that we're facing as our laws and uh, more um, open for refugees and our laws to be invited for the discussions with um, an open uh, for the limitation as we know that sometimes the the uh, forums is not that much uh, for everyone I know but also having more refugees on the table is really important. Thank you. Thank you, Shaza. Tamar, any uh, final words on, uh, from your end, either on this point or other points that have been raised? Yeah, thank you. Uh, maybe on the resourcing, uh, concerning the GRF, so uh, the GRF UNHCR has committed to uh, um, facilitate the participation of 100 refugees uh, at the GRF, so we are still trying to secure the funding for that, of course. But at the same time, we are also advocating with the different actors, NGOs, the uh, uh, states to also include refugees in their delegation, building on the also very good uh, practices that our seat uh, just uh, touched upon. <clears throat> More on the programmatic side, <clears throat> we have been working also on facilitate, uh, simplifying a bit uh, some of the modalities to access funding for RLO, so I can also share additional information about those uh, uh, access to small uh, seed funding for uh, organizations that are not registered, for instance, which is one of the big also challenges for those organizations on the ground. Over. Thank you, Tamar. Uezo, uh, final thoughts on your side. Thank you. I'd like to say in the lead up of the 2023 Global Refugee Forum, I think the state, UNHCR and non-governmental actors alike have an important opportunity to strengthen the links between refugee participation initiatives goals and the design and operation and the mechanisms for measuring progress toward the identified goals. So we should use this opportunity to have clear theory of change. And I've proposed in the report some of the indicators that can be used to measure the progress and influence of refugee participation in policy making processes. Thank you. Thank you, Ezo. And Rez, you have the, the last word from our panel. Thank you very much, Susan. Um, I think uh, as we continue over the years um, trying to develop what meaningful refugee participation means in practical ways, multiple initiatives have already come to fruition over the past years um, and will continue. And this speaks to the importance of meaningful refugee participation across sectors and across all levels. Um, but I think a reminder that we also need to be very intentional. So when we're creating these initiatives and advisory mechanisms and different processes, I think it's very important um, to understand what we're trying to achieve and why we want refugees to participate. Because if we can't answer this question about why we're including refugees, then we risk tokenistic approaches and um, leading to, to practices that might just be a checkbox exercise, having a refugee at the table, but we're not actually thinking about what they can contribute to the space. So being really intentional about this, um, if there are predetermined decisions and refugees are invited after the fact, then that's already an opportunity that's been lost to gain 
perspectives from refugees. So um, just a few points to end on. Um, collectively um, within this call, in, in our respective different organizations and um, places that we're working, um, when we're inviting refugees, we need to know um, and understand why we're inviting them firstly, and then communicate to them why their views are being asked, what is the potential outcome, and then providing a, a sufficient and adequate time for them to prepare um, so that their contributions can be substantive. Last minute ad hoc approaches will not likely lead to substantive input. Um, and in order to have meaningful participation, uh, refugees need to be able to influence the outcomes. And so um, just ending on that note that, that we're intentional about um, including refugees and the outcomes that we hope to collectively achieve and I just want to echo um, Wezo's points that starting to quantify um, and map indicators of success and what, what um, this looks like can be really helpful for us in understanding um, where we were and where we've gotten to and what work still remains in order to have a more robust collective um, global response mechanism um, for, for all refugees around the globe. Um, thank you so much for the opportunity to speak and it's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank all of our panelists for taking the time to join our conversation today. Uh, it's been really an uh, insightful discussion, I think, touching on both what, um, what we have to look forward to and the, the head of the GRF, as well as um, some of the, the important points to um, think through around ensuring that refugee participation is really meaningful and uh, what sorts of investments and, and thought needs to go into that and, and what we can um, expect and how we can actually measure some of, some of those outcomes. Uh, I also want to thank you, our audience, for taking the time to join this morning or this afternoon, depending on where you are. I apologize if we didn't get to any of the, the questions uh, that you had put in the chat, but I, we aimed, aimed to get to as many as we could in the time that was allocated. Um, an audio and video recording of the event will be available on the MPI website in a few days. If there are reporters on the line who would like to uh, reach out, please feel free to contact Michelle Middlestadt at M uh, Middlestadt, M-I-T-T-E-L-S-T-A-D-T -T -T at migrationpolicy.org with any questions. And please do be sure to check MPI's website for the report that we were talking about today, Building Meaningful Refugee Participation into Protection Policymaking by Uezo Ravazani. Uh, the report, as I mentioned at the top, is part of the Beyond Territorial Asylum Initiative, Making Protection Work in a Bordered World, that MPI is convening together with the Robert Bosch Foundation. Thank you again for joining, and we look forward to uh, seeing you with us on another occasion.